unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. And the viewers can already tell we've got a special guest lined up for this week's episode. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How about you? I'm excited. I went over the notes for this week's episode and I'm stoked to jump right into it, man. Let's do it. Okay. So one of the most powerful forms of stories for copywriters is the case study. And I think it's fair to say that most of us don't use as many of them as we should. Today, I'm going to talk to an expert who has vast and successful experience this kind of marketing. Our guest today is Joel Kletke, founder of Case Study Buddy, a business that helps companies like HubSpot and Loom scale up their case study production and include it really in every segment of their marketing. And that goes from lead generation to upsells to main sales pages, outreach and nurturing. Overall, Case Study Buddy has done more than 2,000 case studies for over 300 clients. Joel's a copywriter and a proud dad of two, and I believe his one regret in life is being a fan of the Calgary Flames hockey team, <laughs> and I don't blame him a bit. The last time the Flames won the Stanley Cup was 1989, right? I suppose we should just leave that there, huh? Okay, but lucky for us, Joel knows a lot about case studies, and he's generously agreed to share some great tips and insights with us today. And a way to get some more information free at the end too. So just as much as I'd like to share something with you right now, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Joel, welcome, and thanks for making time for us today. Yeah, thanks for the gut-twisting reminder that I haven't seen a Stanley Cup in this city since I was two years old and too young to remember it, but there's a pain in, in my heart to be a Flames fan, so aptly put. Yeah, I guess Mets fans kind of feel the same way. There's always next year. But let's get into case studies. What are they? The way you look at them, how would you define them? How would you describe them? Yeah, so, I mean, case studies as a whole, even the phrase is one that I think I've kind of soured on a little bit over time. I think there's better ways of thinking about them because the word case study sounds very clinical, like you're almost wheeling the client out on a gurney and dissecting the situation and and being really kind of clinical about things. And that can be true. But from my perspective, a case study is simply a customer story with that customer at the center of telling that story with their experience, their perspective, their evaluation of things at the heart of it. It's not a you success story, though that is accomplished through telling that story, a demonstration of proof, a, you know, as Jude Charles would put it, a dramatic demonstration of proof that you can do what you promise. But it is both 
customer-centric and an actual story. It's not a collection of bullet points and nice quotes. There's a narrative that you can trace from start to finish. Yeah, I had a client who had, you know, been in the battles of not not a great space, in my opinion, but very successful turning around tech companies in Silicon Valley for their new corporate or private equity owners. And he had a phrase when he was bringing new people in the team, he called case studies war stories. And, you know, if if you take the military metaphor out of it, there usually is a struggle, right? There's a conflict, there's an obstacle to be overcome. And that's what makes them interesting, yeah? Yeah, I mean, similarly too, I, I like the idea of war stories because there's tension, there's stakes, there's actual consequences to not getting this right. They're very human stories for as much as they're about businesses serving other businesses or businesses serving you know individuals they're, they're very human stories there are motivations for individuals there are consequences there are stakes there can be tension I, and i think ironically a, a lot of those elements get left on the cutting room floor in favor of things that are not story driven and in, in favor of things that are very safe very comfortable very you know th- pro- programmatic and i don't think it has to to be that way so i like that broader thinking i like that that different definition. I think even just approaching it with that different word in mind or that different categorization in mind should inform it and will make the way you tell those stories better and stronger. Yeah. So I guess that old salty dog knew something after all. Okay. (laughs) So what are different types of case studies? I mean, one of the things that amazed me most when we talked is I saw a case study is like, okay, here's what happened, you know, and you know, there's some benefit and, and some, heroism and some stakes and all that, but they're different kinds, right? Yeah. I mean, they come in sort of different types of flavors. It's funny because we think about case studies typically as problem, solution, results, and we almost adhere to that formula so strictly that we lose sight of creativity in the storytelling or even having different goals for different types of stories. So for example, you can tell stories that are switcher stories that focus on why someone left a competitor and came to you. And that can be the narrative arc of that story. You can tell stories that disambiguate. So an example of this is disambiguating a use case, showing a new market that actually, yes, we do play well here. We can serve you better. One of the great examples of this that I've seen is there's this industrial sort of fan making company they, they do industrial air filtration lots of you know big mouthy words and and old kind of stagnant feeling industries and things like you know well if you're doing fine glass dust and, and things like that well when the pandemic hit they had this whole new market open up where they had these medical grade air filtration systems they could take to gyms if you try to sell to a gym the same way you you sell to a industrial manufacturing company, you're going to have a hard time and getting gym owners to even understand this was possible for them. They needed disambiguation stories to show how their solution fit in that market. You can have playbook style stories. One of my favorite examples of this company called Mutiny does this incredibly site is Mutiny HQ. They have a whole section of these and Mm. yes, they show a customer's story and solution, but it's very prescriptive. It's very much, okay, they, they start the whole story by saying, here's what you'll learn, which is a fantastic lead in to a case study because it immediately makes a promise of value for spending time on it. But then they followed up with something I haven't commonly seen is here's what you need. 
Here's what you'll learn. Here's what you need to replicate the success we're about to show you. And then it reads like a story with a recipe embedded showing here's how to go and deploy our solution in this way to, to have these takeaways. So you can tell stories like that, implementation stories, focus just on the, the upfront implementation of it. Uh, you can tell, uh, tell skeptic stories that focus just on the buying process and why they almost didn't buy and what ultimately won them over. So you're not limited to this very traditional just here was the only challenge and here was the solution. Here's what's what the result was. You can frame that in so many different ways to accomplish different goals and meet the needs of different audiences and, and meet them where they're at. That's great. This is the first time we've gone to that level of depth. My head's spinning with all the possibilities. I really like that. And it all makes sense. And I guess you'd have to spend your time in the vineyards of, of case studies <laughs> to really see that. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Why do case studies work and how do they work from a marketing point of view, from a point, you know, from a copywriting point of view, because you're a copywriter too. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I went out on my own in 2013, originally focused on content, quickly pivoted into copy. And that, that is my personal passion, working on the conversion side, the direct response side, really understanding how people make decisions. So there's overlap that I've been able to bring to customer stories. I think, why do they work? I think they work when they work because they paint a very focused, clear, relatable picture of how someone like you made the decision you're debating, how they experienced the fallout of that decision, and then what was made possible for them. I think people tend to think that the only things that matter in case studies are, oh, we need a big sexy logo. Oh, we need a big, huge metric to, to anchor this whole thing in. Oh, oh we, we really need some sort of proprietary industry secret we can disclose in this to, to make it worth reading. I think that's a mistake. I think hmm. within every customer win is a story of someone who experienced a resolution to a challenge, who experienced the alleviation of pain. And so when we write on the copywriting side, we're keying into, we're going, you know, everyone knows the old ads, go beyond features into benefits. But with stories, we really get to talk about the experience of making those decisions, of living out those decisions, of seeing the impact of those decisions. And that's something that for me, it came later on, but the realization that it's not just about, for example, the KPIs, the impact numbers, it's about the ROI of the KPI, the experience of that. Okay, you saw a 100% lift in conversions or a 10% lift in traffic, or now your team's 90% efficient. That might get someone to click. What gets someone to buy is what did that make possible? What did that feel like? What did that, you know, what can they do now or, or, or do better? So I think they work when they're focused, human, relatable, and have that experiential component baked into that narrative. That's great. And, um, you know, what came to my mind as you were saying that is once you start to focus your case studies, they're almost like living, breathing bullet points on steroids, you know, yeah. right? I mean, case study can be an interesting story to 99 out of 100 customers, but for that one customer that wants that benefit or has that objection and reads it, wow, right? Yeah, and I think too, you know, the the ability to, as you say, flush that out and make it real. I mean, when we talk about, for example, you look at, especially in the B2B space, there is some serious emotional uh, thought that goes into some of these decisions. When you're debating shifting software, it's not just, oh, the back end stack and yada, yada, yada. It's how will this impact the team and 
what if I make the wrong call? And what if these features don't play out for me? And so that's what's, I think, enormously interesting to me is you can tell these very specific stories rather than kitchen sinking it, right? A lot of companies want to take every win they got for a client, throw that into one you know, horrible concoction. It's like taking every spice in the cabinet out, dumping them all into a dish and hoping that something delicious comes out the other side. You've taken too many good things, put them all in one thing, and now it's not a good thing at all. But being specific, being focused, that's where, again, I can key into that. I can I can understand that. I can live that out. I don't want all of the different spices. I'm hungry for one particular thing. So just just give me, you know, the smoked salt. Don't Don't give me paprika and chipotle and and all that other stuff, right? That's interesting. Great perspective. I really like it. So you said you went from writing content, or writing content to conversion copy, what we call direct response copy. But then you started specializing in case studies from there, right? Yeah. How did, how did you make that bridge? Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now, back to the Copywriters Podcast program, already in progress. So it all came about, you know, I, I was really focused on writing landing pages, websites. I had just concluded a, a project with a company called WP Engine and I, it went well. And someone on their board said, hey, I advise this little company called Pingboard. They need a case study. Is that something you do? And I've always tried to take in life when there's something that is new or uncomfortable, just try to say yes and take it on and, and learn by doing, right? Not with everything. There's some things where it's like, no, I'm not. If you ask me to jump out of a plane naked. No, I'm, I'm laughing because most people are the exact opposite. Well, I don't know. I've never done that before. Well, that feels a little uncomfortable. I guess the universe doesn't want me to do it. But you're right. saying, no, opportunity grow, right? For sure. And so I, I said, yeah, you know, of course, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it was in the doing of that project that my eyes opened to a few things. I think one of the challenges in and others have obviously done it successfully, but one of the challenges in growing a multi-person business around direct responses, it's a specialized skill. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to know. And once someone can do it extremely well themselves, they'll often go off on their own and, and, and do it themselves. But with case studies, I saw this opportunity in that these were assets that were hard to do well. There's a lot of moving pieces. There are a lot of stakeholders. There are a lot of fields of expertise from interviewing to the actual creation to project management and chasing approvals. So I saw, okay, these are difficult. They have a lot of moving pieces, but man, there's something every B2B company on the planet needs. And because there's this widespread need and they're difficult to do, I looked a little closer and thought, okay, well, why why don't more companies do more of these? I started asking around. I was 
well, they're because they're hard to do, or they're they're never a priority till they are, or people don't know how to operationalize them. I thought that was interesting, and and then I I really kind of thought, well, there is a repeatable process. Surely someone else has kind of planted their flag and said, this is what we do. We do this at scale. We've got the whole team to handle the whole and and scope of this. And when I looked around, I mean, there were people talking case studies, obviously, but I didn't see that scalable team. So I was intrigued by that. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a stab. I'll, I'll have a go. So uh, originally case study value was off the side of my desk uh, for, for many years. It wasn't until right before the pandemic, it became more of a full-time focus. And I can tell you, it became obvious we needed to at least give it a shot because the kinds of companies coming to us because of that specialization and because it was so blue ocean, it was like, we, we'd be fools not to try to, to give this a push. So that's that's where it all came from, how it all came together and how I wound up doing doing this now. Yeah, and, and before we get into some examples, just quickly, what, what does your company do for your clients? I mean, I guess the obvious answer is right case studies, but I have a feeling you might might have a, a more specific answer or a strategy or, or something. Yeah, we, we really help companies with the end-to-end scope of getting these done. So it's not just the creative piece. We also have team members in place to basically once you have a, a client who's willing to take part and we can help advise on things like legal release and buy-in. We share a lot of resources. We, we try to really equip people to do that well. But once someone's willing to take part, we take all the burden of creation off of the internal team's shoulders. So we coordinate those calls. We conduct them. We have interviewers who are very seasoned in, in that type of content. We'll do the filming if we're doing remote interviews or on location. We can do the video component as well. So it's like bringing an entire department to bear just to solve the challenges of customer stories. That's what really makes us different. And the scope we're able to cover because of that means product marketing teams or marketing teams or customer marketers or content marketers, they can focus on other things. They don't have to wrangle five different freelancers or or try to attack those problems themselves. That's pretty cool. Could, could you give us an example of a good case study? Yeah, uh, an example of a really good case study. I mentioned them earlier, but th- those playbooks by Mutiny, go have a look at Again, mutiny side, and, and particularly there, there are a couple there. One on Chameleon, one on a company called Attentive. But when you look at those, pay attention to the mindset they've brought to how these are presented, how they set expectations, how they create value for people. And if you're someone looking for a solution like me, it's very hard to leave those stories not going. I should really sign up for this. I, sh- I should really give it a go. Uh, another really interesting example, uh, if you look at, uh, and transparently we we did this one, but if you look at HubSpot's University of San Diego story, that's a switcher story. It's an example of capturing a story of the experience of moving from one major player to another and all of the sort of challenge inherent and, and, and what that looked like. I'm a big fan of that story. I think on the visual side, not our work, but a space that is so can get so cheesy and so cliche and so poorly done, the legal space. When you look at legal marketing, it's often just like eye-wateringly terrible. <laughs> the number of billboards with some equivalent, we fight for you, and then the gimmicks and all this. There's a company called Crisp Video, and, and they do these incredible, they are case studies, but they're tied to like the identity of the lawyers and, and the individuals they help. But when you look at the way they've framed up those stories, the only words you can use to describe them are things like cinematic, 
They are genuinely emotional. They they don't feel like you're being sold to. They feel like you're you're watching this very high production value kind of look. And they're not cheesy. You know, they they're legitimate. So the, the elements they've been able to incorporate there are tremendously powerful. So I wanted to share you know a video example too because there's storytelling mechanisms going on there as well. So those are some examples of stories that I I really like and and I find a lot to appreciate in. Yeah. So without pointing any fingers at horrible examples, could you tell us what are some of the worst things someone can do in a case study that they shouldn't do? Oh, the number of stupid things that people do, mostly because they're afraid or they're lazy or they just don't think it through. I think most of these that I'm about to share are a byproduct of having to be reactive. Someone puts up their hand, now there's a five alarm fire to try to capture the story. One of the stupidest things you can do is not have that customer's voice in that story at all. This is the customer story. They are at the beating heart of this whole thing. So going, oh, we have, well, if we have to interview them, we have to coordinate that, we have to go through approvals, and blah. What if we just ordered ourselves? Stupid, dumb move, not the right way to, to come at it. You lose so much richness of detail, and you can also seriously damage the relationship. I think another one that we've spoken to already, but kitchen sinking it, taking every metric, every win, every possible good thing and throwing it in makes for a distasteful story that really serves nobody. I think a mistake lots of companies make without even being aware they're making it. When we go to write a landing page, I mean, the the research we do, we think about the audience, we think about the offer, we think about the channels, we think about the context. For companies in the know, that's reflexive. They, yes, we of course we would do that. Why would we not do that? When we write a case study, why do we not give it the same amount of vigor? Why do we not think, who is this intended to appeal to? And where do we plan to deploy it? Because I can tell you, the kinds of information that a CMO cares about versus a CTO, very different. And the way you want to write a story to each of those individuals, very different. Similarly, though, if you're trying to write a piece or create collateral to appeal to someone that you're sending in cold outreach, they've got a different layer of informational appetite than someone who's nearer to the end of their journey. They might only want a one sheet, a quick video, something high level, whereas someone else may want the deep dive. So not thinking clearly about who you're even trying to reach and where you're trying to reach them and and what their appetite for information is. It's a stupid move, but it's a common one because, again, people just fall back to the old standby of problem, solution, results. It looks exactly this way. So I I think those are some of the most common when it comes to either not thinking things through, not having a process, just reacting to the situation. I think it doesn't have to be that way. We can put serious strategic thought into the stories we tell, who we tell them to, how we tell them. That's great. You've given so much already, but what's the one best tip that you haven't given us yet um, for writing great case studies? I'll break. I'm going to cheat and, and give you a couple for each section because I'm talking to writers. I'm talking to people who are storytelling. So section by section in the challenge section, don't just cover the challenge. We've, we've spoken to this a bit, set the stakes. If you want to hook people in, pull people in, get people invested, make it human right away, have a hero right away, but make sure within that challenge section, you're articulating why was this important to solve? You know, why was this critical? When you come to the solution section, everyone focuses on the how, bring in the why, right? Not just what was done, why those things? If you're writing for a service, why were those decisions made? If you're writing for a product, why were those features 
the ones that they found most useful or, or how are they deployed to, to drive that impact? Go beyond just listing the thing, the bullets and, and give it some life. And when it comes to that results section, go beyond the metric and into the impact, the fallout of that impact. So go beyond just listing the KPIs. And then finally, the one that I haven't mentioned explicitly, but it should be brain and simple for anyone who's done direct response for more than 10 minutes, have a call to action. You've just told a very specific story about very specific pains, very specific desired outcomes. You should have a very specific call to action tied into that story to drive people. Don't settle for, oh, did you like this story? No, <laughs> what was the story about? Like, bring you just essentially pitched someone without pitching, bring them into that value now. Be intentional. I see so many stories with no call to action at all. What a loss. What a waste. Have that call to action there. So, uh, you know, hopefully that's valuable. Section by section, those are some things. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, That's wonderful. Yes, thank you. So speaking of calls to action, uh, you have a newsletter, right? We do, yeah. We It's relatively new for us, but in the newsletter we share a lot of examples, ideas, upcoming events, places where we, we do a lot of sharing just like this on how to make your own stories better. It's not all just hire us, hire us, hire us. It's whether you're operationalizing stories, whether you're trying to get buy-in, whether you're struggling with the challenge of proving the ROI of the stories you're doing or you're digging into the storytelling Twice a month, we send something out that will help you do any number of those things just a little bit better. Yeah, I subscribe to it myself. And first issue already looks good. It's casestudybuddy.com forward slash newsletter hyphen sign hyphen up. And we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. I'm going to jump in at the tail end of this episode and say thank you for coming on, Joel. And the what I really dug about this episode is case studies, especially for copywriters, tend to have like our eyes glaze over. We tune out. We're like, oh man, that's the most boring part of copywriting, of marketing. And because of, I think, all of the mistakes that people do that you pointed out in this episode. And you, I love the fact that just by going through this, I, I thought of like 10 or 15 different ways. Oh man, this would make a case study so much more powerful, adding a call to action at the end, making it less boring, making it more specific to the people's needs. All of this stuff is, is why case studies kind of get the groan that they get from copywriters, but just, man, you delivered. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Nathan, uh, that's a really good point. I've, I've always kind of had a feeling about the things Joel was saying, but, you know, my, my default image of a case study is, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the serious, you know, basic meat and vegetables of copy. And you've shown me today, it doesn't need to be at all. It, it's very flexible and it can be very exciting and very powerful. And most important, help us get some RO, additional ROI, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so much utility. It's not just end of the journey. It's not just the PDF. It's not just the big long piece on the site. There are so many ways to take this customer proof, slice it up, deploy it, do it in interesting ways, get your hooks in people from remarketing to outreach and and beyond. You know, I, I think if nothing else, getting people excited about this format again, getting people to rethink their approach to it, that's a win for me. And, and, and if nothing else, I hope to see better stories put out there by the people listening. Don't settle for crap. You, you can do better. All right. You've been challenged, listener, viewer. Thank you, Joel. Cheers. Joel, 
before we're out of here, if people want to check out your work or ch- sign up for your newsletter, where's the best place to go? You can check out the, the link in the show notes for, for our newsletter. There is a blog on our site full of content, casestudybuy.com, that will equip you to do, again, different parts of this better yourself or take that back to your organization. For me personally, you can connect on LinkedIn. I don't always answer fast. I do always answer. So be patient with me. And if you want to see pictures of Cthulhu riding a surfboard, which is more what I do on that platform, Twitter, you can find me there too. That's where I'll complain about the flames and share the odd intelligent thought and then pictures of Cthulhu on a surfboard because that's the state of the world we're in at this point. <laughs> and yeah, I want to say um, somebody in someone else's thread said, you should be on Copywriters Podcast, Joel. And, and they like tagged me and that, and that is how we met. Yeah. And, and he yeah. did respond. So there you go. <laughs> nice. All right. So if you listening enjoyed this episode, make sure that you also check out copywriterspodcast.com. While you're there, like, subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss future episodes. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.